Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Hi everyone, um, welcome to the uh, ODI. I'm Hannah, Head of Marketing and Membership here. Um, it's a real pleasure to welcome Simon Worthington, founder of a data consultancy uh, firm, uh, Registered Dynamics. And uh, Simon will, talk, will be talking to you today about uh, untag- untangling your secret data uh, architecture, so that's the infrastructure, architecture. <laughs> um, just a few housekeeping bits uh, before we get started. Um, the first one is, uh, please wait for the end um, before asking a question, because then I can pass you the mic and the people watching on the live stream can, can hear you. Uh, it won't amplify your voice, so uh, don't worry. Please just talk normally through it. And the second one is, if you've got any questions um, from the live stream, please use hashtag ODI Fridays, and I will read them out at the end. Over to you, Simon. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so hi there. I'm Simon Worthington. I'm from Registered Dynamics. Um, we're a data consultancy. Uh, we help uh, companies and organizations embed best practice in data. And uh, we've been helping customers for a number of years um, <clears throat> go on their sort of data untangling journey. And what do I mean by that? Well, it might be this time of year that you go up into the attic or the loft and you bring down the Christmas lights and you open the box and you pull out this big ball of tangled mess um, of bulbs and lights. And you look at it and there's an urge there to just chuck it all away uh, and start again. Because what you really want is, although if you plug the lights into the wall, they work, what you really want them is in a nice ordered string and not a big mess. Um, and so what you have to do really is go on this, this journey of untangling all these lights without necessarily breaking any bulbs. So you can't just kind of start yanking them, you can't force them. And really, that's the sort of journey that um, a lot of organizations want to go on if they want to be sort of data-driven. That's the thing they want to achieve. And really, when they start to open that box, they realize they've got a bit of a mess. Um, so we, we help them with that. And really, this, is what, this, this talk is really about the sort of stuff that we've learned about their journey. And it's not, none of it is stuff that they knew at the beginning, but it's all stuff that kind of we've helped them learn and what we've learned with them along the way. So let's go on a journey, uh, on a sort of data transformation journey, as it were, um, starting from this idea that mm, we're an organization, maybe we should be data driven. And basically, this is the sort, of, uh, the sort of journey that people have in mind when they start off on this. They, like, the early stuff is quite straightforward. They're like, yes, we're going to write a data strategy. This is going to be great. It's going to have pictures, it's going to have colors, it's going to be exciting, and we're going to get senior sign-off. And then everyone that you speak to seems to be sort of roughly agreed that the next thing they need to do is make everyone follow standards. And um, what standards they are, we'll get onto that in just a sec. Um, and then at the start of the journey, they're kind of unsure what really comes after that. But then the light at the end of the tunnel is profit. Th things are going to be better in this new world of data transformed for them. Um, and what we've observed is that really their sort of their problems tend to fall into three sorts of areas. Um, they get a bit stuck on actually making people follow standards. Um, it turns out to be quite a bit more difficult than they thought. Um, and then this discovery piece of what is actually in those question marks, what comes next, what is between doing that and having the profit. And then also, what is the profit? What is the benefit? And how do I know 
that I'm moving in the right direction towards this light and not down into some tar pit somewhere. Um, and really, normally the sort of people who are on this journey are teams that have been tasked by an organization with doing, doing data. And they're sort of this data team sitting in the middle, and they've got you know, clowns to the left of them, jokers to the right, and really they are Malcolm in the middle. Hence why, throughout this presentation, I'm going to be mainly using GIFs from the greatest TV show of all time, Malcolm in the Middle. Um, so what I'm going to set out, really, is, is the answer to these things, all the things that we've learned to form a kind of data blueprint, really, of what people are aiming for, or what they should be aiming for. So let's start at the beginning. Um, you've written your data strategy. It looks great. It says things like, we want to have high-quality data. We want to reuse data. We want to exploit data to its maximum potential. We want to uh, have interoperable data. We don't want teams in silos, that sort of thing. And the way that everyone seems to decide that, the way that they're going to achieve this is by having uh, people use data standards. And what they mean by that varies quite a lot. Um, but eventually, it's, it kind of, it's a bit of a spectrum. So on the one side, you've got quite low-level things like, how are we going to write dates? Are they going to be day, then month, or month, then day? That sort of thing is quite straightforward. There's obviously lots of yeah, like well-understood standards for that already. But then it kind of gets more to the their sort of line of business stuff. So the things that our business actually needs to communicate about, how, how are we going to standardize around them? So as an example, um, if you're an organization that has some responsibility for veterinary practice, for example, some people in your organization might use the term bird flu. Some people in the organization might use the term avian influenza. Now, to a layperson, are those two things the same? Not sure. To a machine, are those two things the same? No. To an expert, maybe those two things are the same, but they realize that in order to kind of move along this journey of having data that works and having it high quality and interoperable, they need to actually standardize some of these terms. And that's a job that only really they can do because they are the organization, it's their line of business. And the data team in the middle, uh, one of the ways they start to approach this is by saying, okay, we're gonna get out there and we're gonna do it and we're gonna find the lists and you know, there's only 30 or so diseases that we have to care about, so how hard can it be? And the short answer is it's a lot harder than they think because the devil's in the detail. They have to learn a lot of domain knowledge. They're not really the domain experts. What they are is the data experts. And so what they find is that actually you need a confluence of data skills and domain skills together. And actually getting that is quite difficult. Um, and so what people quickly realize is that if they go out there and try and make all these standards themselves for their organization. It takes a lot more effort than they thought, and they simply uh, do not have any slides. Uh, they simply do not have the ability to do that um, because it's just too much resource. Um, so what, they, what, what the answer is to that problem is, instead of having to do everything yourself, just don't. Like, actually go to the domain people in your organization let them make the list. Because this, so this is the secret part of the data architecture. Really, the thing that's secret about it is the fact that it already exists. There are already people in your organization who are keeping these lists, who are making them, but they're making them for themselves. And they're not sharing them because they're just in Excel, and they're using them for their own purposes, and they don't think they're particularly high quality anyway. It's just their list. But that turns out they are the holders of the standard, and they're the ones that need to be setting the standard. So what you, what you learn then is that actually, yeah, you have to give people, 
the individuals, the domain experts in the organization, the actual control to do that. So how do you do that? Well, if you have a, like a self-service tool, you can, you can let them do it. But of course, what people worry about then is that, well, if I just give these domain experts this self-service tool, they're just going like, to put in what they've got, and it's going to be a big old mess, and that's not what I want, because what I want is actually I want to achieve kind of organizational alignment. I have, a, I have this grand plan of what I want to achieve with my data architecture, and they're just going to do all this stuff that's not going to align with it. Um, and that's, that's kind of true. So what they have instead, so, so what you have to do instead is, is kind of give them enough control without kind of being a gateway. So the way that most people seem to react to this problem is by uh, being a, a kind of data architecture gateway for the rest of the organization. Now, this kind of works a little bit, but the problem that we've seen is that there arise lots of examples where kind of what you set out with at the beginning is not actually the way people want to do it. Um, and basically, if you force people to clean up their data and make it um, compliant with whatever standards you set out to begin with, a lot of them won't come on that journey with you. So for example, um, with this list of uh, veterinary diseases, for example, say that your, your kind of organizational goal is to have every record kind of date stamped. And so it's, you say, oh yeah, this is when it put, was put on the list, and this is when it was taken on, off the list, or this is when it became relevant, or whatever. And if you go and talk to someone who knows a lot a bit about diseases, what they'll say is, oh no, 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 we absolutely cannot put dates on there, because what people do is they interpret those dates as the date the epidemic started. And if that is, there's no end date, then they think, oh, the epidemic's still ongoing. And it's all these kind of quite subtle effects, which mean that they don't necessarily want to do things the way that you do. Um, and so that, now you really have two choices. Do you leave them out in the cold and just let them do their own thing and don't really bring them into the organizational kind of alignment? Or do you kind of bring them along? And really the answer that we found is that, yes, what you have to do is give people a place to put in their data standard. It's not perfect and it's not going to work for everyone, but at least you can see the mess. And making the mess visible means that now you have the ability to, to do something about it. So what we've seen work is giving people a self-service tool. They can put in their data standard for themselves and see, actually, yeah, it's a bit of a mess. And now we can actually give them some help. And also, we can give them help on an ongoing basis. So you know, six months, 12 months, now we can actually review how they've managed that data standard and see, actually, does that align with where we want to be? Do we need to go and give them some help about how to do this? Like, for the good of the organization as a whole. Um, the, other, the other side of this is that, that that basically talks about it from a publisher perspective, so people who are making standards. And there's another perspective of it, which is people who are consuming the standards. Because quite often, uh, what we found is there's quite a big disparity between the standards that people are publishing and the standards that people actually want to use. And again, a lot of that is for quite reasonable reasons, really. So. Um, I've forgotten what the, the good example is, but I'll, I'll use a worse example. Basically, the, in, in the sort of like the, the avian influenza example, if you say, oh yeah, the, the standard says when we talk about this disease, we're going to call it avian influenza, you might get someone coming along and saying, well, actually, like a lot of the users that I have outside of this organization who, you know, we're not really responsible for, they don't know what that is, and they want to see the word bird flu there. And so actually, I'm going to change that when I use it in my system but in, my, in the other systems, maybe it should stay as avian influenza. And so what do you do? Again, do you 
just kind of let people do that in an invisible way so you can't see it, or do you let them do it in a way the way you can? And again, the solution that we found is that if you let people take a copy of their standard and change it so that it works for them, um, it might not be completely aligned with exactly what you had in mind, but at least then you can have a conversation with them about it, because if you don't have any visibility, you can't bring them back into alignment at all. Um, so to say something a bit more about copies, the, the problem with having a copy is not necessarily in the fact that they exist. The problem is really about having them get out of date and, and be wrong. And again, as I say, there exists lots of technology that can help you do things like that. So if someone takes a copy of a, of a list, it's not necessarily true that they need to be up to date 24-7. And there's lots of good reasons why that might be. Maybe they only do things monthly anyway, and so it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, and people kind of get to this place where, actually, if you give them a way to keep copies up to date in an asynchronous way, that's, that's a lot better for them. So now we get to kind of these question marks. So the situation now is you're a data team in the middle. Um, you've got, you managed to kind of engage with people who are building standards for your organization. They're encoding their sort of uh, institutional memory, to steal a phrase from somebody else. That's kind of what these things are. It's the way that the institution talks about things. Um, and you've now got essentially a list of, a set of kind of independent standards that are all great, and you're starting to see value from them. Um, but kind of what's next? What, what, what do you have to do next? So the thing that's really missing at this point is having these standards come together to form a bit more of a sort of common ecosystem or a coherent set of things. So it's, it's the classic phrase, kind of, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Like all these standards together, acting together, can be much greater than just the value you get from them individually. And basically, the reason that you that this is true is that you start to get a lot more value out of them when they they work together. So this is a quote from one of our um, one of our colleagues, one of our clients, and um, what they found is that is that basically. 90% of the time of doing a proof of concept of you know, machine learning or computer vision, something like that, is just spent messing with the data, cleaning the data, making it tidy, making it work together. And if you can reduce, if you can start to reduce some of that time in percentage terms, then you start to make not just things cheaper and things easier, but actually you start to make new things possible that just were not possible before because they were either too expensive or because, you know, if you if you want to take five data sets and use them, how are you possibly going to clean five data sets? But now, if it's you know it's as simple as that, or it's already done, you can do it. So and a good example of this that, that we found was that someone um, wanted to do some computer vision on uh, highways in England. So they had all the uh, data, and they also had data about where they expected to see various items of street furniture, so things like lampposts or post boxes or things like that. Uh, and actually marrying those two data sets is really difficult because the location accuracy on them was just not strong enough to be able to say, oh yeah, this feature that we've identified on the image is the same as this feature in the database. And so the vast majority of the work for them is actually trying to clean that to make it sensible. Um, and actually doing something with their app is, is like almost the last 10%, basically. So, how do you actually go from this like kind of having independent 
sets of data standards to actually having a more cohesive thing. Um, so the first thing you need to do really is kind of help people validate their data. So sorry, so I'll step back a sec. So the, the, the two things really that data scientists end up doing uh, a lot of in that, in that 90%. One is actually fixing the quality problems with kind of each individual data set. And the other one is in making those data sets link together. So in order, so, so it's, it's about fixing the quality problems, but also helping them understand what the actual, um, what the actual use of the data is that they can, they can do. So for example, um, if, if you are uh, trying to understand a data set that you've not seen before for the first time, there's a lot more information than, than you can see on a simple spreadsheet that you don't have available to you. So as an example, if I say to you, um, uh, here's a data set without any context, what you'll see is maybe a column of numbers. You'll see a column of things that look a bit like postcodes maybe. They fit like this postcode structure. Um, and maybe you'll see some kind of things with pound signs. And so you can make a reasonable guess about what this data means, maybe based on the column headers as well. And it might be like, oh yeah, so this is a postcode, we know that. And this is a, uh, a price of something, we know that. Um, but when you actually start to, to, to actually take that 90% number and really start to crush it down, you need to provide a lot more uh, context and really it needs to go back upstream. You need to provide a lot more validation for people putting that data in in the first place. Because one of, like, for example, that price, in order to work with it and use it with another one of these data sets you've got, you need to know what kind of price it is because is it a price that includes VAT? Is it a price that excludes VAT? Because if you take two of those different prices and try and combine them, you're going to end up with some total number that doesn't really mean anything because it's kind of got some VAT and some not. And similarly with the postcodes thing, if you take a, um, if you take a postcode, you might know that it looks like a postcode and actually that it validates as a sort of structurally a valid postcode because it's got you know, one or two letters at the start and then two numbers and then two letters, whatever. But there are lots of valid postcodes to that structure that don't exist. So how do you know that really you've got what we might call referential integrity, that actually the postcode you've got in your data set really exists. Um, and so a big part of that is on the people producing the data in the first place to a certain extent. And then their ability to offer that kind of contextual information. To be able to say, yeah, this is not just a postcode, but this is a postcode that actually definitely exists. And this is not just a price, but this is a price including VAT. And when you have that information, you start to reduce down a lot the amount of cleaning work that you have to do because you have a bit more of a guarantee about what the data actually means and you can combine it together a bit more easily. Um, and I guess really the point I'm trying to make here is that it's both the structural, i.e. is it a number or is it a yes or no, and the contextual, like actually it's a number that means something which is different from this other number that means something else. Um, and really you have to help people do that. You have to give people the tools to help them do that because something like Excel, while it does help you with the structural, it doesn't really help you that much with the contextual, which is why when you share data, you have also all these kind of other standards off to the side, like CSV on the web or table schema, that sort of thing. Um, so the other thing you, you kind of, you have to help people do is join their data sets together. And as I, I kind of mentioned the postcode example, and that's another really good example. Um, really, you, you have to make it easy for people to do that and for, make it easy for people to prove that actually what they've linked to is a real thing. Because 
when you actually have lots of these kind of data standards operating together, it becomes like making a change to a data set becomes a bit more of a big deal because, say, let's say for example, uh, well, okay, okay, here's, an, here's, an ex here's a real example. Um, say you uh, you want to remove a a disease from your veterinary diseases list because it's no longer of interest to you. Um, what happens to all the data in your ecosystem that is pointing at that disease? Does it just like does that just become kind of a null link now? Can you no longer link back to that thing? Or you know, what, what if the data is is measuring like the fact that a test has been done for this disease? Well, tests might continue to be done even after you've taken it off the list because things take time to change. So, seeing your change when the context of all the data that links to it is quite important, and you get to a point of when you're looking at or reviewing a data standard and saying, oh, actually, if we make these changes, this is the impact the impact becomes a lot less localized and a lot more kind of globalized, not just even across the entire organization, but outside the organization as well, if you publish things publicly. Um, and again, like the tools there to help people do that are kind of limited. So the kind of the final point really is profit. And the big lesson, the big, the big lesson really is to not do what I've done uh, and leave profit until the end actually start talking about the profit immediately. Because all the way through this, um, uh, this exercise or this journey, you will start seeing the like, positive benefits of doing this sort of stuff. Um, but if you don't have a way to actually like, measure that or measure the progress, it's going to be a real tough challenge. And actually, you know, two years in, five years in, your kind of senior team is going to be saying, well, you know, why am I continuing to spend money on this data thing? Like, you've, you're just sitting there, like, what are you doing? How is it actually helping me? And one of the big things that we see with all, um, with nearly all of our clients is that they write a data strategy, and it's great, and it says where they want to get to, but it doesn't necessarily say how they're going to measure that they're going in the right direction, how they're going to course correct, or how they're going to uh, know when they get there. Um, so the big lesson really is make sure you have a yardstick in order to show that you're making progress. And thankfully, if you, if you start dealing with some of these other problems and you have the foresight of um, understanding that these are going to be problems up front, you actually start getting, being able to get some of these metrics that help you prove that you're, you're doing this quite early on. So for example, I talked about. Um, uh, people being able to consume uh, data sets and have copies and keep them up to date, if you implement that in the right way, well, now you also have an understanding of who is using the data sets and which ones are the most important and which ones are kind of forming a little bubble over here on their own and which ones are actually like in integral to your entire organization. Um, you also have an understanding of how long updates take to propagate because maybe you've implemented it in a way that means when someone updates their copy of the data set, you get information about that, and you can see and track where each person is at. And also, you can see when someone takes a copy of a data set and changes it, because again, they're within your domain, you can still see them, you haven't locked them out, you get to see what changes they made. And maybe you get to say, actually, over time, the amount of changes that people are making to this data standard is going down, so it's getting better. That's a measure of the quality. Um, and ultimately, you can also see where you should be focusing your effort. What I'm trying to say is that by implementing all these sorts of things, you can actually start to have a yardstick with which to measure progress against the strategy that you set out. And if you 
are able to show like positive improvement, which normally you are, but normally the problem is you can't show it, then this is a good thing to keep you, well, A, in a job, and B, keep the good fight of like making data better in your organization going. Um, so really, what I've tried to set out is a bunch of lessons that we've learned and things that people don't think about when they start out on their journey. And this is kind of the sort of too long, can't be bothered to watch um, guide to the stuff that you need to, you need to be thinking about. So I talked a bit about you need, you, need to, you need to let people do their own standards and you need to help them do it, not kind of prevent them from doing it if they're wrong. And that's what the self-service thing is all about. You need to make it easy for people to sort of uh, take copies. They, oh yeah, this is, the, this is the thing that I forgot to mention, which is lots of organizations go on this journey and say, oh yeah, copies are bad, copies are evil. Um, and I would tend to agree. But all the organizations we've seen who said, like, thou shalt not take copies, you will only use an API. Um, everyone just takes copies anyway, because that's what works for them. Like, there are various like, benefits to them having a copy, like as simple as, well, they're sitting on a plane and they haven't got Wi-Fi and they can do work with it on there. And it, 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 it's as innocuous as that always. Um, so make it easy to consume. Give people actual help in keeping it clean, keeping it referentially integral. Um, use all these, use all this stuff to track progress against your strategy. Um, number one thing is actually just make it accessible to normal people, i.e., like not geeks, um, because those are the people who are actually doing the difficult work in your organization. As someone in in the middle who is a data team, you really need to be spending time less time on the stuff that other people understand and more time on the stuff that no one understands because that's the only way you're gonna move forward. Um, and then the final thing really is kind of be ready for a continuous journey. So a lot of people say like, oh yeah, we're gonna do this four point plan, we're gonna to get to profit and then I'm gonna pack my bags and hit the beach um, because I don't need to do this anymore. But it turns out when you, um, when you have all this stuff working together and you've got this great culture of data, and lots of people using data, people start coming up with new ideas and saying, oh yeah, what if we like correlate uh, the people getting taxis in our taxi firm with the phases of the moon? What happens? Can we do anything interesting there? That's you know, all sorts of stuff and you have to be there to kind of solve their challenges. Um, so this, this presentation really has been all about stuff that we've learned from our clients and stuff that we've learned over that time with them. And what we realized is that if we're going to improve data as a whole for everyone, there needs to be, like, we need to kind of disseminate more of this stuff. So what we've done is we've kind of taken all of these lessons and identified all the ways in which the tools that people use are not quite right, and we've boiled it down into uh, a new thing that we call registers.app. Um, and registers.app really is uh, something that helps you do all of this data strategy stuff. So it's a self-service platform for normal people, uh, it helps you link data together, it helps you clean data and keep, make sure it's valid, keep it high quality, but it also helps you track progress against your standard. It helps you see all the data that you've got, how are people using it, how are people like, trying to use it, where do you need to focus. Um, if, when I'm talking, you've, you've thought to yourself, yeah, these are some of the challenges that I've been having, or we're going out, we're starting out on this journey, and I want to like, make sure I don't fall into all these, uh, all these tar pits, Come and talk to me. My name is Simon Wellington. You can get me on email, simon at register.dynamics.co.uk um, or on Twitter. And uh, thank you very much.
Simon. Thanks for appearing completely unfazed by the technical difficulties. It's <laughs> always a bit of fun. It'd be too easy otherwise. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It would be. Um, are there any questions for anybody in the room? If not, I've got one to kick off with. Okay. Um, you're talking about um, uh, profit or kind of impact being yeah, yeah. considered from the outset. Have you got any examples of organisations who have managed to successfully um, uh, go through the process from beginning to end where they've managed to consider the impact and yep. then actually see it? Yeah, I do. Um, so I will um, I'll call out the very excellent people at the Environment Agency um, and really they set out on this sort of journey a number of years ago, um, quite actually quite ahead of the curve really, um, with a view that the problem they were trying to solve and the, the profit they were trying to get to is this idea that actually if they don't do this work, there's a big risk for them there um, because you know they, they do a lot of stuff around flooding, for example, and a lot of that is data-driven and they realise if they didn't really get their house in order and get some maturity, that's just a big sort of operational risk going forward. Um, and then you've also got the kind of the classic enterprise stuff around, well, what happens if we start you know, losing data or we don't have enough maturity here? And they've been on that journey for quite a long time. And if you, and they basically they keep popping, popping up sort of all over government in all the places where people are talking about best practice. Yeah, it always comes back to the sort of stuff that they're doing because they've been on this journey a lot longer. And really, the fact that they had that really strong motivator of, if we don't get this right, things are going to go wrong, um, was really powerful for them. Thank you. That's great. Um, I've, I've got a question that's it, it's probably is quite basic because I don't sort of work in that area. Um, but when you have um, uh, sort of linked data sets between organisations mm. uh, across sectors, who, how do you manage sort of the governance of the standards across them? Uh, and I, I'm, I'm sure that that's quite a big question, but I just wondered again if you had any examples. Yeah. Um, so. That's difficult, <laughs> but right. So the reason that there are some good examples which don't come to the top of my head, and the reason that they're not more prevalent, I think, is because um, there's not actually. I don't think there's that much stuff in that space happening to um, so, so, like very high profile. I think part of the reasons why is because actually a lot of that stuff is quite technically difficult to to get your hands on. So if you're a if you're someone who is very just used to using Excel, which is the majority of people, how do you get started with that stuff? Um, and it's, okay, it's really technically quite dense. Um, but I think that's where I kind of come back to, I mentioned it really sort of quite briefly in one of the slides, but the problem, like the reason people want to take copies is because if you change something, they, 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 one of the reasons why is because they don't want to rely on you if you're not really got their best interests at heart. So if you look at the way in which people use APIs that give them data, the, the way that most people use them is whenever they get a result from an API, they will cache it in their own local copy of the database. Because, and there are, there are, there are lots of people not doing that, but there are a lot, like, I think there are more people who are. And the reason is, is because if your service goes down, well then, that, does that mean that my service goes down? Because if I'm relying on your data, like I'm now relying on your uptime. And if I'm taking data from five different APIs, that's like 99% you know, times five, or 99% to the power of five, which then becomes like 90% or something quite small. And suddenly my, my uptime is completely dependent on yours. And so that's why people want to have 
copies. And so when it comes to um, people almost kind of pulling the rug out from under you, having the ability to take a copy at least means that if that does happen, you at least then have the option to do something about it in slow time rather than, okay, my entire service has gone down because someone has changed what they're doing. Now I can, I don't, I'm, no, I'm no longer getting the, like, the most updated data, but maybe I can live with that for a while while I work out what to do. Um, so that doesn't quite answer the sort of governance aspect, but it does answer the sort of aspect of it becomes less severe problem when you have a bit more time to actually do it because you have more of a local copy. Yeah, we've got a question. Oh, just, um, just hand you the mic. Hi. Do you find that regulations help or hinder data in general for data purposes like what we're doing here in your field? Or is it something that is going to be just a nice to have? Okay. So by regulations... Uh, okay, well, so let, let, me, let me interpret that in my own way and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. Um, but generally what we've... So we've, we've found... Um, broadly, for people who are making high-quality data sets, data standards, they generally fall into two camps. Um, one is a kind of community of interest. So this is where you have a bunch of people in an organization who are all kind of working on the same sort of thing, um, and none of them really has any authority over the other, um, but they have a shared interest in getting uh, things done. Uh, and um, obviously the challenge there is actually getting people to, getting all these different experts all have their own opinions to agree on what the data standard should be that they're all going to use and, and actually change their business process. The other model is one that's more based on regulation. So where a regulation says thou shalt keep a, you know, a register of X, generally um, that's a lot it's a bit easier to deal with because it, within an organization there is a named individual or a named team or someone like that who, who is the, like, the nominated custodian. And the fact that you have that backed up by the regulation makes it a bit less of a challenge to get people to agree because actually what you find is that the contents of that data standard that they're keeping is normally quite reasonably well defined by the regulation. And obviously I'm talking pretty general terms, but that's generally the case is that what's in that thing and who, how the governance is going to work and who's actually gets to be the authority for it is a bit more obvious. Um, so yes, where those regulations exist, they generally um, help you because someone has already done the work basically to work out who should be responsible and that's, that's the value of it. Cool. Any more questions? No, in which case, please um, join me in thanking Simon. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture, brought to you by the Open Data Institute.